Welcome, one and all, to Champions, our review of Norwich City's EFL Championship 2018-19 season, one that panned out pretty much exactly how we all felt it would. I think we can all agree on that. I am Pink and Show and podcast host Michael Bailey. Hello there. And helping us relive a gloriously epic season across all five parts of our review, yes, five, is a man with the second most powerful spreadsheet in Norfolk, Twitter's very own NCFC numbers, Steve Sanders. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm very well. Who's got a more powerful spreadsheet than I have? I thought I, I was number one. I was, I was wondering that as well. I was, was going to put it down to uh, the sporting director, Stuart Weber and his, uh, uh, his grand plans for the football club. Yeah. But to be honest, I mean, you've probably got a second page I, there somewhere. I don't mind playing second fiddle to Stuart. That's fine. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, are you looking forward to all these parts? We've got a lot to get through. We have got a lot to get through. A lot of good games to get through. Not all in this part, but... <laughs> Sorry, Pat. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, clearly I don't need to tell Norwich City fans that... Um, there were lots of exciting games. Um, there were lots of goals. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to provide a lot of figures. And uh, yeah, we've got a lot to get to. So yeah, I'll let you crack on. What a marriage in made in heaven. Pinkin.com and NCFC numbers on Twitter. Uh, long story short, we have split this season into five chunks, and we're going to hear, uh, going to relive each one with a different guest. Hopefully, at a different venue. Hear your views, the pick of Steve's stats, of course, and generally bask in every bit of a memorable season that saw Norwich City become English Football League champions. And I'm sorry if I've just spoiled the ending for you. Uh, right, let's crack on. This is part one, um, where we start right from those auspicious beginnings. I wonder who got the uh, lucky straw to join us. Ha! <laughs> yes, uh, for part one of five, we are right here at Archant Towers, our home away from home. Pinkin.com's very own chief Norwich City correspondent, Paddy David, is with us. Pad, you got the short straw. No problem at all, boys. No. Although, as I told you both, I did miss Birmingham and Wigan, which is the final part of part one, so... Don't know why I'm here, but there you go. <laughs> You're here for your expert analysis. And we're we'll gonna, roll on from there. <laughs> we want to know exactly what you were doing when those games were going on, if you can remember that. Um, how are you? Are you well? Are you enjoying the summer? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all quite chilled, but I did a little bit for our Pinkin app the other day and a bit of cross-promotion there. And um, I did make the point I was quite bored already. It's only been two weeks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, roll on June the 13th. Exactly. And the fixtures for the Premier League. But obviously before then, we're going to build up to that by... Looking back on, well, as you boys, being Norwich fans, would probably testify a season like no other. Indeed, we're going to relive a special one, uh, and we're going to set the scene first. Given, a, you know, taking us back a long time now to the actual twelve months ago in the last transfer window uh, that went on during the summer, um, and there was a lot of change, wasn't there? Pad, you know, big sales: James Madison, Josh Murphy, um, Nelson Oliveira was apparently going to be exiled, as, as we saw. I mean, all the goals went basically didn't they how worried were you I think you had to be Um, and not only as you mapped out there what happened in in last summer but they limped into it you know 14th was it 15th behind dare I say Ipswich for the first time in a long long time and and just the football the results everything was rather down down pan and um, in that context going into the season um, I think there was a little bit of trepidation because you would have to be honest and say the Farker-Weber experiment wasn't bearing fruit as anybody hoped it would. And if anything, it felt like it had stalled a little bit over the second part of last season. So with what had happened on the pitch, then you lose Madison, then you lose Josh Murphy. You bring in a guy nobody, I don't think, unless you play football manager, had heard of in Timu Puki, <laughs> Emi Buendia again, in a team who had got relegated to the third tier of the Spanish league. Um, very hard looking back from that point to where we are now to see what was to come so um, yeah I think there was 
I think most Norwich fans were a little bit nervous, to put it mildly. Yeah, a little bit. What were your predictions at the start of the season, Steve? Other than you were going to smash it with your spreadsheet. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I came nowhere near this. Um, I had us finishing 16th. I couldn't see us improving without Madison. I thought he was such an integral player. I think we were probably more uh, a one-man team the season before last than I've ever known us to be in terms of if Madison didn't turn up, then we didn't seem to. And I just couldn't see how we were going to fill that void. As it turned out, a lot of the new signings managed it. A lot of the players we already had stepped up, and obviously that's all still to come. Um, but I, I, I was one of those glass half empty. I can't see us bettering where we were before. In fact, I think I said that Ipswich would finish above us, and this would be the year that we would f- f- that run would end in East Anglian derbies. I don't mind admitting it. Yeah, I think we probably thought that was bound bound to happen at some point. I remember thinking, and Norwich had been here before. You had you obviously selling big players. You either managed to buy a lot of players who can who could fill the gap, and you do manage to make some improvement, or you don't, and you're in serious trouble. Um, turns out they got the right side of that coin. Thank goodness. Uh, I tell you what, um, we did actually have take some of our predictions from earlier the season when we spoke to uh, Hodgey Stuart Hodge, who we'll hear from later, by the way. Um, Here's some of the things we uh, we said before the uh, season really got going. 13th. Try and Lucky go, for try, some. Try and go up the season after. 10th. I still think they'll they'll pick up. There's a long, long way to go as we sit here today. Yeah, I'm trying to set my bar pretty low so that I'm pleased when they finish their 12th. Who's going to be top scorer? Jordan Rhodes. He'll get, he'll get the chances and the opportunities and hopefully he'll stay fit. Jordan Rhodes. Yeah, Jordan Rhodes. I'm I'm happy with Jordan Rhodes. I think he was an upgrade on what they had. Why well, it's going to be double figures, surely? Otherwise, we're really screwed. Who's your favourite of the summer transfer acquisition? Yeah. I'd have to say maybe Rhodes. I like Kenny McLean, and I think Ben Marshall's got something about him. Although I'm, I'm, I don't really want to see too much more of him at right back. I think. Oh, Pookie's doing quite well as well. Actually, he's he stood up. I have not seen him play yet. Emi Buendia is the one I'm really looking forward to. Who do you think is going to be player of the year? If he continues in the same vein as he is at the minute, Onel Hernandez, I think, will walk it. If Onel keeps doing what he's doing, clearly he will be that because of the level of progression. Um, uh, Let's just hope they're three really strong candidates so that Norwich have had a good season and it's not like the keeper. We're not ashamed of our predictions, are we now, Pad? I genuinely can't remember what I said, so (laughs) whatever I said was probably very wrong, a bit like Steve, but... uh, Glad to be proved wrong. Exactly, isn't that the, the exact thing? And actually, Tony, if you can pop this in, um, we had uh, Di Cunningham of Proud Canaries on the Pinkin Show earlier in the season. Um, she managed to find this clip because she was obviously very proud of it, uh, whereas I just basically laughed at what she said, and here is what she said. Can't believe I just said Ops. Uh, right, so that's all good. Uh, let's have a look at... Oh, no, final question. So we did all our predictions for where Norwich are finished. Where will Norwich finish, Di? Oh, okay. I'm going to say... Uh... I'm going to say playoffs. Okay. I think it might be automatic, but I'm going to say playoffs. I'm going to say so. And that was, of course, Norwich finishing in the automatic promotion places. I literally laughed out loud at Di. I mean, I'm sorry, Di. It was a laughable idea at that time, <laughs> wasn't it? Yes, Di. Yeah. <laughs> laughable idea. Um, I'll tell you one, one more thing we can catch on as well. is the fans' predictions and feelings. Steve, you put out a tweet and you're asking for those. Yeah, yeah. I've got loads back, so thank you ever so much. Um, we've got a nice... Um, We've got a nice mix of people saying, well, I was cautiously optimistic. I think we had a few playoffs. Um, a few people actually put money on Norwich City. Um, they didn't say whether that's something they do every season or not, um, or whether it just came right this time. Um, but yeah, there was a definite mixture of uh, those who, like us, were not seeing Norwich going anywhere fast, and those who I think had that belief that we might do something. Always fascinating uh, viewing and listening after the event. So here are some of those. 
Gavin Johnson said, I was thinking around 15th, but to match last season's mid-table finish given the specific departures of Gunn, Madison and Murphy, open brackets, 47 million pounds worth of talent, close brackets, that would have been considered as progress in my mind. How little did I know? Tim Scales said, so we're back at it again for another season. Norwich going up as champions and Timu Pukki bagging 47 goals in 42 appearances, I've heard. Roger Mallett said, I actually said on the Pink and Message board that I thought we had a chance of the playoffs with the players having an extra year under their belt and with Leitner signing a deal and Jordan Rhodes signing. The boys in yellow tweeted, I thought Rhodes would score over 20 with Pukki playing in the hole behind him. I also thought Farker could be sacked after 10 games if things didn't improve. Nick B admitted, I think I predicted another no-mark season, finishing 12th and Farker getting sacked at Christmas. Hashtag, what the Farker do I know? Hashtag, delighted to be so wrong. Jakarta Canary said, I thought they'd just miss out on the playoffs and Jordan Rhodes would be the main man. So truly glad I was wrong by a country mile or three. Alex Pegg says, best Vrancic and Stephen would come good, mainly because I couldn't admit I was wrong for bigging them up when they signed. And worst, we'd finished below Ipswich again. Nate G says, I was hoping mid-table, had high hopes for Yannick and was certain Ipswich were going to finish above us again. Could not have been more wrong, thankfully. Let's crack on with the games then, shall we? Opening day trip to Birmingham. Although, as you rightly said, Pat, I forgot you weren't there with us. Sorry, that's no, quite sorry. bad. It's a long season, isn't it? But how did you, do you remember how you followed this? It was a 2-2 draw, of course, away from home. Do you remember how you followed it at all? I'm trying to think. Well, I think I might have been on a stag in Manchester, not my own. Um, and if I'm honest, I probably didn't check until after the final whistle. So if you want a breakdown, you're asking the wrong man. But um, but it was nice to see that they'd uh, they'd managed to uh, you know earn a point because um, in my experience, Birmingham did well. I remember three 0 was it when we went there with Sergi Canos, the only time he played in the league for Norwich under Alec Neil. Um, always a very very difficult place to get anything. Um, Although they did win on Boxing Day, didn't they? The last season that was Jamal Lewis's opening salvo in a Norwich shirt. But I think when I look back at the result, I thought, well, that's a decent point um, because I fancied Gary Monk to um, improve them. And, and the opening day, of course, things haven't gelled. Um, and as as we've got here, you know, so many new faces. Um, and, and to repeat myself, you're bouncing in or you're rather limping in off the back of getting hammered at Sheffield Wednesday, finishing mid-table... You're losing your two most creative players over the summer. I think it was a little bit of a leap into the unknown. So I think in that context, opening day, don't get beat. Away from home, you probably would have taken it. But obviously the way the game panned out, it was tinged with a little bit of disappointment, I think. Yeah, indeed. Um, five, new, five new faces on, on the day, I think. And, and Kenny McLean came off from the bench, as I've got written here. I mean, it's, it's a good example of the fact that Norwich's maybe recruitment wasn't 100% bang on the money because Ben Marshall was at right back that day. Yeah, that's true. God, it seems like a long time ago that now, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, before before we saw Max Aaron hit the scene. Yeah, I think uh, th- for me, the the amount of kind of flux that we'd seen was typified by the fact the only surviving player from the first game of the previous so, season yeah. was James Husband. James Anyone Husband. remember him? James Husband. <laughs> yeah, that's well, he's got a chance in the Premier League. Now, carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, it was one of the. I think there were positives and negatives, um, as there sort of inevitably are on a lot of first. Um, uh, first day of the season games, um, we conceded from a corner, um, first corner of the season, which probably <laughs> came as no surprise to anyone at that point. Um, but I think the real positives were, um, obviously, 
Onel and uh, and Dennis Strabeni coming off the bench and and making that um, that second goal. And they were two players that we signed in January the previous season. So it was it was one of those where you could maybe start to see some of the development that had happened over the summer. And yeah, as, as Paddy says, good good point to get. I've got some. You, you give me a little bit of helping hand with this first game, which is nice. He's, he's, he's me and um, Steve. But uh, of course, uh, Nel Hernandez got both goals, and we'll speak about those in a moment. Both equalisers in, in the final 10 minutes. So, I mean, that was a, a good trend for the way that things were going to go from there. And he ripped off his shirt for the second one and not didn't throw it at Daniel, much like um, Nelson Oliveira did 12 months earlier in the opening game of the season, too. Uh, a remarkable stay here about Anel as well that I've got written down from you, Steve. Uh, go on which one is that first player to score two from open play in a Daniel Farker league game yes yes that's right (laughs) yeah um, which again seems like an absolute age ago now I think the only the only player to have done it the previous season was Madison but clearly um, that was in his hat trick where he scored two penalties Um, so yeah it was the start of some obviously brilliant individual performances many of them from Onel himself Um, and again I'm going to keep saying this but it feels like a long time ago but this was it, this was really his time and he had a great season over the course of it but I think at this point a lot of people were saying this this guy's going to be the player for us this season and a few of the early games we really were building the, the our performances certainly from an attacking point of view around him um, looking at his season more generally I would say maybe the one thing to improve on is, is the finishing I don't know if I'm being overly critical there he scored yeah. I think you've been rather generous to him mate, if I'm brutally <laughs> honest but you go on, you go on. well uh, uh, just to, to add some add some figures to that uh he had the second most shots this season. He's got eight goals from four, uh, from 88 shots. Compare that to Vrancic, he got 10 from 43. And there's there's an issue there, I would say, which I'm sure Paddy is going to add to. Well, I, I just remember doing a column after his heroics, for want of a better word, against Forrest over the festive period, which I'm, you guys will discuss later on. Um, saying that, yeah, just that, Steve, that for me, his end product isn't good enough and, and he will need to improve radically in that department. But you do look at his numbers and they look quite healthy. You know, eight goals and he had 10 assists. Um, more than decent at the level he was operating at. But it just the frustration I have with him is there's so much more to come from him. He's got so much raw material. He offers a completely different dimension to a lot of Farkas midfielders because he's direct. Uh, you get the sense he's not quite sure what he's going to do when the ball arrives at his feet. And, and that, that's also a strength as much as a weakness. But... Um, no, he's a frustrating player and he needs to improve and I, I, I still stand by the column I wrote round about January that okay his numbers in the round more than healthy but if he's going to operate at the highest level he needs to be far better in terms of his end product and he's not the only one in his team I think I'd put Jamal in that category as well I think um, when he gets in the final third he needs to be better his final decision make making needs to be better you contrast Max Aaron's productivity and their chalk and cheese in that respect. Um, so, yeah, he's not the only one, but, of course, the nature of where he plays on the pitch, he needs to be producing goals and assists. And, yes, he did them in decent quantities this season, but the nature of going into the Premier League, better players, better tactical setups, better coaching, um, he's going to have to be far better in that aspect. Let's hope he can make another similar size jump forward, I suppose, during yeah. the summer. I mean, that was his first goal for the club, <laughs> I think, wasn't it, at Birmingham? So um, at least he made that stride forward and we got to enjoy him. Points rescued in the last 10 minutes, Steve? Do you want to do that now or are we definitely we'll, going to we'll do it later? Do further down the line. Further yeah. down the line. Good stuff. All right, well, I'll tell you what, then let's move on to West Brom, shall we? Norwich City's first home game of the season. All those boring games the season before didn't start off quite like that, did it? Um, th- this was a ridiculous game, really, wasn't it? And watching it again, I mean, there's so many chances and it was ebbs and flows. And um, I guess it was kind of 
errors that cost Norwich yeah. so early on, wasn't it? Big, big, big errors. I think it was one-one going into half-time. Norwich get a penalty. Jordan Rhodes doesn't take the penalty. There, there was the start of a worrying theme <laughs> um, for the season. But and they would have been more than merited it because West Brom. Obviously, we didn't know subsequently that West Brom would tail off a little bit. But when they start of the season when this fixture was announced you thought well that's going to be very tough they're going to be bang at the sharp end of the table but yet Norwich after that first 45 minutes or so with full value but to go in at 1-1 you've missed the penalty then two minutes after half time Jay Rodriguez really speculative shots him cruel parries it into his net and uh, you know you're 2-1 down and as you say it just went from there and Norwich felt the wrong side of it but it if you're looking for signposts and trying to uh, draw a curtain on what had gone before and this is the start of a new era, it felt like they'd squandered an opportunity at that day because um, I think West Brom were there for the taking in the first half. Yeah, they kept scoring late goals though, Norwich. I mean, they did they did keep pushing West Brom, which was interesting. Of course, Timmy Pookie's first goal for the club as well. I think he'd go on to get a few more. Yeah, I do recognise that name from somewhere. Um, yeah, I think it, it, there was quite a lot of positivity, actually, I think, despite this defeat, maybe because it was so different to the sort of soporific home performances that we got the season before. Um, so at least there was a bit of excitement. Um, I kind of viewed it as the first home game and just your, your new striker misses a penalty and your new goalkeeper kind of palms one into his own net. It's probably not an ideal start. But um, just to go back to Onel, I know we've kind of covered him, but to give him a bit, perhaps a bit more credit in the box, um, two assists, put the cross in, for the first goal, which Pookie kind of hooked back and won the penalty, I'd say in terms of individual performances that we'd seen all season, mm-hmm. this must have been up there with one of the best ones. In fact, his cross for Hanley's goal was just yes, was, terrific, yeah. wasn't it? It was. Um, it was the first time we conceded four or more in a game outside the top flight of Carrow Road since the 7-1 to Colchester <laughs> in August t- 2009. So it doesn't happen very often that we're that open. Um, but we did also have 10 shots on target which is the most that we'd had um, in any game under Daniel Farker at that point it was all there if we'd looked for it in the second game of the season as funny you mentioned about the you know, Quill's penalty miss um, sorry Quill's uh, throwing one in the net um, Rhodes and penalty miss they were the two players I think most of us kind of said oh they're going to be the crucial players for Norris this year you go into that game and you're like uh oh um Norwich then uh, back at home for the Carabao Cup opener at home to Stevenage obviously we're not going to touch too much on the cup games but uh, the things here I suppose Kenny McLean decent um, performance but then an injury which would rule them out for so long and Max Aaron's debut at left back well if you tell me he was at left back I'll believe you even though I was at the game so uh, <laughs> yeah but I do record, I do recall Kenny McLean and it was a poor challenge right in front of the Barclay that and the ball had actually gone out of play and the guy's just come through the back of him. I can't quite remember what the score was at that moment, but just looked a very petulant act, but unfortunately, and although Kenny played on, in fact, he had a good chance as well within five minutes of that incident, but clearly thereafter, um, complications with ankle ligament surgery and we didn't see him for months. So um, that was a costly one, despite they obviously went through on the night and I think Pookie again stepped up, didn't he, towards the end? He did indeed, and, and one sort of fluked in off Zimmerman's heel, which is a great goal. That great goal. Um, Norwich back in league form, away to Sheffield United. I guess little, little did we really think that those would be the two sides that would end up getting automatic promotion at the end of it. Of course, it was a really late, late defeat. Um, I still remember the the uh, moment where Moritz Leitner was through one on one. Yeah, he was so clearly offside that it had been ridiculous had it been given. I think, but uh, to concede that late, I mean. There's two sides of it, I suppose. They could have been sort of 3 0 down in the first 20 minutes, couldn't they? Because Sheffield United were, were bang at it. But then, likewise, to lose with basically the last kick was, was, was monumentally frustrating, actually. 
Yeah, two takeaways from me. Uh, we touched on it before in terms of uh, the Birmingham opener, but they got done on a corner again, um, really poor. I think they lost the back post header and then they lost the next header. Uh, and then Ben Marshall, the final nail in his coffin as a, as a right back, um, when the ball got switched diagonally, stoppage time, he's lost his marker and I think the ball's been cut back and there's Billy Sharp near post. Um, so that was the end of Ben Marshall for me as a right back, I think, and probably for Daniel as well. So, saw one to lose that late, but as it turned out, I think, was it only Preston who beat them again on the road? Yeah. So, you know, three games in, second away game, and that's your penultimate away defeat. Absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's just a, no kind of, I, I can't imagine I would have done that away from home before. No, and well, the amazing thing is actually this was, te- this was a 10th game away from home without a win. It was the longest run outside the top flight since 2007 without an away win. So to go from that, and again, it's so easy to forget that, to, to where that what they ended up doing, as you say, one defeat for the rest of the season, quite amazing, really. Yeah, I kind of thought maybe it's going to be one of those seasons. It was the sixth game in a row that we conceded from a set piece as well. So it was just, we just looked like we weren't going to quite have enough at this point. And as you say, little did we know that Sheffield United would turn out to be the team that they were as well. Uh, they were the only team to beat us twice in the calendar year of 2018. So they've kind of got a little bit of the rubber over us at the moment. Um, yeah, and in the end, it was us that ended up inflicting all the late defeats <laughs> yeah, for the rest of the season. It was indeed. And there, there was a lovely picture from that game of Daniel Farker just uh, with his arm around Emmy Brendia looking over um, an empty Bramall Lane before kickoff because it was uh, then the following game uh, home to Preston, midweek oh. game, of course, Alan Neal's return uh, that uh, Emmy Brendia got his first. Um, outing in a shirt which happened with about 20 minutes to go it was nil-nil up until that point and it was a truly atrocious game by the way Alex Tetty in this game was awful and he said as much after the game too um, whatever made it happen those two things probably helped because um, Buendia was on the pitch and Alex Tetty scored an incredible goal really I think actually Tim Closer eventually called it his, his favourite or most impressive goal of the year because wrong foot going backwards on the half volley is fairly ridiculous when you when you watch it again. <laughs> I think that was his only goal. Uh, just yeah. just um, something else in the last day or two. I think that was the only goal. So it was a memorable one. It was your only one for the yeah. season. But yeah, you're right. He was he was terrible by his own admission. I think at nil nil he just given the ball away. My abiding memory of that game was he gave the ball away with a s- square attempted pass. Callum Robinson intercepted, smacked it against the bar. Right. Now you can imagine in the context of. A stuttering, okay, positives, but a stuttering start to the season on the back of what happened the season before. Preston go one nil up there. Cara Road would not have been happy at the final whistle. So small margins. Yeah, yeah. With the recurring theme as we go through some of the other games as well, especially hitting the crossbar. Um, yeah, Alex Tetty. I mean, he, let's be honest. In the summer, he was. It was a good chance he would have left. To be honest, he's he got a two-year deal when he was going to be out of contract. Yeah, it's kind of felt like that with Tetty throughout the far career, hasn't it? Really, that it, it, it almost feels like he's he's going to be phased out. He's going to be phased out, and then he, he kind of kept coming back. And did I? I can't remember. You remember better than me. Did he say this was his worst game that he'd had for Norwich City? Yeah, it was, and, he, yeah. and he's obviously. I don't think he used those words. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I mean, he obviously clearly ended up becoming. Uh, a key player in the first half of the season before kind of I suppose you'd say Tribal took over that role um, so adeptly um, I don't know where that leaves him now he's obviously the only player that he's been promoted with us before um, in the current squad um, but yeah I, I, in terms of this game itself um, to me I remember there being a lot of tension and unrest in the stadium um, and I promise we're not going to keep harking back to 17-18 too much but it felt it reminded me a lot of the QPR game the season before where we kind of had not started as well as we'd hoped to. It was a kind of key midweek home game 
and we left it late but got the job done and it yeah. did okay it didn't kick start it in the short term but it was an important win exactly that was obviously the same point in that season wasn't it it was a point like a, a point where they needed uh, a win yes. uh, I, I guess um, Norwich City's only other away defeat in the league at Preston was the moment at which um, Teddy was kind of ditched out wasn't he got, and he yeah, got his injury sure. and then Tom Twyble took, took over from there um, one little thing I do like I love the view from behind the goal of Temu Puki's strike because it is, it's such a neat little move, but the, the finish is so precise, it's so dead-eyed, and the camera's right behind it. I think it says everything about Timu Pukki's efficiency. We'll come on to Timu. Now, game five, already up to five already. Leeds United running away with it. This was almost the point where they won the division, I think, actually, um, early August. <laughs> um, this is a strange game, isn't it? Because this was quite a comprehensive defeat, but it wasn't that straightforward, was no, it? No, absolutely not. Again, uh, parallel with West Brom, first... Well, maybe not the first half, but certainly the first half of the first half. Norwich ran ran over the top of them. I can remember Moritz Leitner was pulling the strings. The crowd, conversely to the Preston game, were bang up for it because Norwich just started on the front foot, almost as if that's the mindset Farker had sent them out with. That Because Leeds, I think, arrived at Caro, if not top, very near the top, and um, they knew they had to be very, very positive and on the front foot, and we saw that. Didn't get a breakthrough, and then... You know, they paid again for some poor decision-making. I remember they got done on a swift counter. They had too many men up the park. Cruel padded one in at his near post. Not as bad as the West Brom goal, but still at fault. Um, and then Lee's slipped into cruise control. But I, I double-checked the lineup for Norwich that day, and really you would only say there was five survivors from that game, five games into the end of the season. Cruel, Lewis, Tribal, Onel and Pukki. So the turnover from five games into the season to the established 11 we got down the stretch. It just shows you, you know, again, this was still, at this stage, very much a work in progress. Absolutely. And really interesting for me that actually it was only after the season finished um, that that Tim Quill kind of... reminded us all that he'd only had two pre-season games at this point and a week basically of pre-season training before being thrust into championship action over the first five weeks and maybe retrospectively you could put a lot of that down to the sort of rustiness in his performance and sharpness I suppose yeah I, I kind of I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt really I, I think it, it was the second goal wasn't it where he sort of got beaten yeah. at his near post yeah. and it, it looked like it, it looked like he should have stopped it um, but I think as you say he, it felt like he was rusty at that point I mean for me actually the, the one the one player who I thought the same take that that was the end of Ben Marshall as a right back yeah. at Sheffield United I actually thought Evo had a really poor one uh, all three goals kind of came down his side with various degrees of culpability certainly the first one where he didn't track his um, where he didn't track his runner um, was that's probably him that's Evo <laughs> Evo's on the phone what are you doing that's, that's yeah all the way from Zagreb um, <laughs> yeah and, and and I think that t- turned out to be really the last we saw of him in the league wasn't it um and actually, of, of, of those names, I thought Tribal had a bit of a shocking game as well. And I remember thinking, maybe we've seen the best of him. And that one, clearly, I got 100% wrong. So, well, you know, it was a wobbly start. I don't think you could argue about the wobbly start. Um, now, two very interesting games before we have a quick look at the table. Um, Carly, uh, Carabao Cup second round trip to Cardiff. Premier League Cardiff, of course, although not anymore. Um, I think we sort of... This is this was so interesting, and I don't know how much it was by design. But Daniel Farker made a lot of changes. He played a, a, a fresh side. We kind of always assumed, well, yeah, he changes it, but he always sticks with the league team. But in this instance, you'd have to say, in terms of what Max Aaron's did and Marco Stieperman, this was a this was a red letter day for them because they really made 
um, you know, statements in this kind of game. Well, yeah, I mean, to pick up Steve's thread there about Evo, I mean, that was part of the equation, but his fate was sealed because Max Aaron's that night was literally, move out of the way, I belong in this first team, and I'm going to show you that I can operate on the same level as these players. He was excellent. He scored his goal, but he wasn't in the side for the goal. But just the composure... Um, and the confidence from such a young man. But also, I mean, Dennis Shrevenny scored an unbelievable goal that night. And that, that's probably the last thing he did in terms of uh, his usefulness on the pitch, <laughs> which wasn't a lot down to him. It was down to a certain finish international moving mm-hmm. centre stage. But uh, yeah, Marco as well that night. Um, but it was very difficult because you're talking about Norwich's changes. I think Cardiff pretty much changed their first 11. I think they might have had Man City in the Premier League the following week. And it was clear where Warnock's priorities lay. So it was hard to get a measure of how good that Norwich performance was because it was, yes, Norwich made changes, but it was Cardiff's second string. But as it turned out, Aaron's was the real deal and so was Marco Stephen. Marco Stephenman as a number 10. It would never work. Yeah, it was completely unheard of. <laughs> um, it's kind of the flip side of Paddy's point uh, that he made in the Leeds game. Six of this, six of the team that started this were part of their, their eight games in a row team towards the back end of the season. So actually, this was looking, funny enough, more like the team that we'd be getting used to towards the end. Than the Leeds game. Yeah. Yes, yeah, more, more like the team than the Leeds game, which is uh, crazy to think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Dennis, uh, only the third player since the heady days of the 1990s to score two goals at a Premier League ground. Um, Dean Ashton and Grant Holt being the others. Wow. So he joins some pretty handy company. So there's a few more who join that um, uh, come uh, next season. We're not going to talk about next season, obviously. Now, um, the, the Cardiff game was obviously a step in the right direction. But uh, let's be honest, Norwich played five league games. They'd only won one of them. And they headed to Ipswich, rejuvenated under Paul Hurst. I think possibly they're just about getting away with that at that point. We all know how it would finish, of course. But um, I think this was the one for me you know, Derby dominance, all that sort of stuff. This is where it's going to end. And then what happens? Grant Edwards scores and they're behind. And Grant Hanley gets injured, so they stick Ben Godfrey in at centre-back. And in fact, I think that was substitution was just before lead, uh, Ipswich then took the lead. It was, it was all going to unravel here. How important was that Moritz Heintner goal in the, in the grand scheme of things, Pad? To me, this game and, and what it led to was an international break. And the other side of that, we'll get into this a little bit later, they beat Middlesbrough on the assumption those two games, that's Norwich's season for me. This is where the great leap forward, the transformation, the, we're no longer talking about a mid-table team and is the project working with Farker and Weber and, oh, come back, James Madison, we need you. No, these two games, Ipswich and then Middlesbrough, that for me is where it all happened. That was the uh, the, the white lightning crucible moment, the thunderbolt, because particularly within the, the context you touched on it there, Portman Road, they're 1-0 down after, after half-time. That was loud. Portman Road was loud because they sensed blood. They sensed right however many years of hurt since Lambert was a boy. Was it the last time they beat Norwich? Um, this was the day. And, and they got their noses in front. Closest had to go off at half-time. And who comes on? Ben Godfrey. Ben Godfrey, centre-back? No, I'm not having that. Left-back, Jamal Lewis, still a young man. Max Aaron's making his league debut that day. You didn't you didn't hold out a lot of hope that they could salvage anything from that game. But they did. Lightner equalised. They really had to dig in immediately after Ipswich's goal it was a 15-20 minute spell where it got very hairy I remember Ben Godfrey slightly fortunate maybe stay on the pitch he launched himself into a tackle almost a two-footed lunge um, got away with it they rode out the storm liner scores at the other end and okay it was on as even on that day but you know looking back now that was the moment for me um, because it was A getting a result in very difficult terrain and B the emergence of Godfrey as a centre-back option alongside Aaron's and Lewis 
um, three young kids in front of Tim Krull with Grant Hanley helping him. He was very good that day, actually, uh, in his leadership role. But, yeah, that that was the one. And sweet that it was obviously Ipswich and they were able to prolong the derby. Who do as well? Yes, indeed. I just remember the amount of energy around Ipswich at that time because I think they did feel it was going to be a new a new dawn for them all. Um, and a lovely lovely goal from Moritz Leitner the way he took it as well and it's you know it's it's cultured finish as he tended to produce yeah fabulous goal and um, it it was a it was actually a shocking game as well really Um, our pass completion was the lowest that it got all season there was more fouls in any other in any other game this season Um, and I I think I don't know what what you feel like the mood was at that time had had Leitner not scored would we be talking about Farker losing his job I mean we we started the game 20th yeah. So it certainly, certainly there were murmurings at that point. Um, in terms of the goal itself, yeah, lovely strike. Um, and Leitner's, Leitner is another one of those who we're talking about the first half of the season rather than the second. Um, I, I don't know how he would assess his season as a whole. Um, it probably comes no surprise to anyone that he played more passes than any other Norwich City player in 15 of the 20 games he started. That is his game. Um, but... Talking about his his general impact, I thought we could. I thought it'd be worth having a look at how he compares to um, Mario and um, to Mayor Kenny, um, and <laughs> to kind Spoiler of alert. <laughs> yeah, um, and to see how they compare with each other. And actually, Leitner, although we all know what he brings to Norwich, um, perhaps in terms of his overall uh, impact, if you look at goals and assists, um, Mario is is way out in front, as you would expect. Then it comes to passing, and Leitner comes into a kind of class of his own, really, doesn't he? Uh, passes per game, the, uh, the number that he completes as a percentage, and the number of key passes he plays, which I assume is those leading to, to chances. Um, and then from the de- more, what I thought was interesting, and obviously we'll talk about this more further down the line, but the, the way Kenny, in terms of the defensive side of the game, is, is so much more adept in terms of his tackles, the headers he wins, and the interceptions. It's not something that I'd actually appreciated until I looked at these numbers. Um, and that might be why we saw him more at the back and, and less of Leitner, I wonder. It's really interesting and it sort of factors into the recruitment and how you know Norwich, Stuart Webber, Daniel Farker and the recruitment team brought in players who were you know, similar in a theme but could just do something slightly, just tweak the way they do things. Yeah, very good point Steve makes there because those three are all very technically proficient midfielders but they're not like for like, are they? Leitner isn't a similar player to McLean in terms of a clone and, and Rancic again different dimensions and it's that blend um, that's probably allowed Norwich to almost stay one step ahead that they always Farker was always able to throw another element into the mix in in that midfield um, in and around the staples of Steeperman and Buendia and Onel of course but uh, yeah now that's a great point uh, McLean's defensive work I remember Farker a bit further into the season the Rotherham away game where he really really talked up his abilities to sense danger break up the play um, almost Alex Tetty type qualities um, and, and you maybe take that a little bit for granted um, or, or almost overlook it but he certainly he did make them a little bit more stable without the ball but yeah it, it's difficult I mean you, you, you can't you can't really it's not really a like for like is it Ranchit should it be Leitner because they are two different players and those stats bear it out you know 17 goals slash assists compared to three for Leitner but then what Leitner brings is a is a composure and an ability to build the play probably a bit better than Mario because that's not really Mario's game. So um, I think it just underlines for me that you know Norwich had a midfield that could do a little bit of everything and um, and then obviously you drop a Tete into the mix, a Tom Tribal plus those others we just touched on. Um, that's 
probably one of the strongest points of this of the season I think yeah 100% um, have Ipswich had enough pain or should we compare theirs and Norwich's seasons oh, there'll be there'll be time for that I have a feeling we had another decent result against them later on in the season so um, maybe that might be the time to inflict a bit more pain on them. well you can all wait for that one Ipswich fans uh, we should just have a very brief look at the table just while we're on that theme though um, at, at this point um we can see that Norwich and Ipswich are both in the bottom half. This is just after the Derby six games played. Um, so Norwich went into that international break 17th. Um, one of those points coming against Ipswich. Ipswich were, you know, 23rd and already clearly struggling and probably having hoped that it would start a bit better. Uh, and I remember people, as you mentioned, it was a horrible game. People after that just saying, well, this is this shocking. The state of East Anglian football, blah, blah, blah. Look at it. It's a, it's a right old mess. Um, and then the Middlesbrough game. Now, I mean, you touched on it was the change, Paddy, but what, what do you put that... Was it just personnel? Do you, do you think that the, club, the, the guys and girls at the club sat down and really had a think about it, or did, did it just sort of happen? Well, a little bit of everything. I think certainly having that two-week window would have allowed Farker and his coaching staff um, and Stuart Webber just to take stock. In fact, you know, subsequently, I recall Stuart Webber since the end of the season reflecting on that period said they there really was a sense within the leadership group there that they weren't that far away the results hadn't backed up what they felt were the performances the improving curve of level of level of performance and and that was proved because you know on the resumption they they we all know what Middlesbrough give you under Tony Pulis but it wasn't just the fact that they won the game and Pukki scored a goal and of course that was going to be a very common theme from that point onwards but Norwich pretty much from first whistle to last dominated that game and they were very good and very controlled and you could almost see now the Farker template was beginning to to work and be be durable against again you would expected Middlesbrough to be up at the top end of the table but Norwich were far more comprehensive than one nil suggests on that day and I, and I just think it was literally maybe being able to pause take stock reflect um and then carry on in the same vein where they'd left off against Ipswich and Cardiff, really. And, and as we've touched on, I think without having it to hand, I think the eleven against Middlesbrough would have started to to look far more like the eleven who went on and, and um, underpinned an unbelievable season. Indeed, Timmy Bookie getting a go up front. I think this was the first goal. Norwich won one nil. First goal Middlesbrough conceded in the season since the first day yeah I think they drew at Millwall on yeah, the first day but hadn't conceded since then which I suppose you kind of associate with the Pulis team yeah. don't you um, yeah I think Paddy makes a really good point actually that this is when we started to see that, that team and that front four coming together Pookie playing in that role um, and it started to look like the Norwich that we now all know and love for me I think wasn't the prettiest game of the season I think it's the most important one I mean every great narrative's got to have an arc and, and this is when I started to head like that I think um, it was the lowest attendance we'd had all season which I think reflects the mood at that point I think nobody really came to the game expecting us to win but we really did do a job on Borough um, thoroughly deserved the win with a little bit of luck maybe with the closer incident oh yeah even himself I think as he went in the dressing room after the game said yeah I was a bit lucky there. I've never known anything like it so but it was the right decision, wasn't it? It was. It was, it was offside, wasn't it? Yeah. And that, that was the point. And yeah. obviously the offside comes before the red card. Yeah. So you can complain about it all you like. But yeah, it, it was right. Footnote now and a long season. Uh, obviously a big chunk of games in this case. So we're going to rattle through a couple of them. But uh, Norwich then uh, followed up that win with back-to-back away games at Reading and at QPR. Um, Reading were already struggling. I remember the Reading commentators sort of at half-time, full-time, not really believing that Reading had been undone by a bang-average Norwich side. Um, that went out on the air, apparently. Uh, so there we go. But um, Norwich won 2-1. Um, Todd Cantwell, I think it was the first chance we had to see him for a, a properly... Was that even his debut? I'm, 
Okay, it was his first start. First start, that's it. First start in the league. Um, and Mario chipping in with the, with a goal, which, as we've been talking about, was something he, he did quite well from the bench. And also, I think it was only a second, like a minute or two yeah, after yeah. equalised. 72, 73, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that made things a little bit ropey then, but, um, you know, clock it away. And then, of course, uh, to QPR, where actually QPR were one of the form sides, even though they'd had a really wretched start. So this was sort of the ebbs and flows of the early early season. And, and as I like to say, Tim and Pookie scored the winner and he scored it with his heart. That's my, that's my favourite line. My McLaren uncle wouldn't that be having that. That was a good goal. <laughs> Ball hit him, I think McLaren said. Yeah. Hit him and went in the net. That's all that matters, really. Well, where's Steve McLaren now? That's the question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, shall we focus on one of the uh, maybe unsung heroes of the season yeah. and this game? I, I, and I think, well, we're talking about Jamal Lewis. Um, I, I think he, well, he is a real unsung hero, actually. And I, th- I, I think he gets... Th- there are comparisons with Aaron's naturally, and Aaron's is a slightly younger man and obviously he's come through this season rather than last so that goes in his favour but um, just a couple of things on Lewis he's not kept a clean sheet without him since 2017 obviously he's played the majority of games but that's a long time Uh, the last seven in the league we've played without him we haven't won Um, so actually he does play an important part and I I think he's the only outfield player other than Pukki who's probably started every game this season where he's been available just thinking of everyone that we've had so Farker, obviously we haven't had maybe that left back up left back, but Farker clearly rates him. Um, and just looking at the, in terms of the the number of games he started, it's easy to, it's easy to forget that he's still, he's still only 22 years old. So, oh, sorry, 21 years old. Um, and he started 42 games and no defender has started that many in the last 30 years, obviously. Looking at the table now, Aaron's and Godfrey are in there um, as well. Just having a look generally over those 30 years, 25% of all uh, pl- uh, Defenders who are 21 and under uh, in that 30 year period have started this season, so one in four. So that just goes to say it doesn't happen often, but we've had three outstanding young defenders come through. And Lewis maybe is the, the least kind of lauded of those three, but he does a crucial job and he did it in this game. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think I feel a little bit sorry for Jamal because you know, if you didn't have a Max Aarons and latterly a Ben Godfrey, maybe even. Briefly, we touched on him, Todd Campbell. Then I think he would be hailed far more than he has been. It, it, and it's a measure of his consistency, really, that you almost take him for granted now. And, and when you consider that, you know, touched on it right at the start, that Birmingham game, the corresponding Birmingham game, Boxing Day 2017, that was his first start as a, as a professional footballer. It's a phenomenal ascent. And not, I might add, just for his club. He's now Northern Ireland's first choice. Yeah. He's playing in Euro qualifiers um, you know, against you know, I remember him. They played Bosnia away. He's coming up against the likes of Edin Dzeko and Pjanic. You know, the Juventus brilliant midfielder. This lad could be anything he wants to be. I mean, okay, you know, if you're being ultra critical, there's still areas to work on his game. But he's 21 years of age. Of course, he's not going to be the finished product. But the raw material and and Steve's right. Farker rates this guy highly. And um, and he, what I like about him as well, he's very mature, he's level-headed, he knows he's not the finished article and you, you can't see him resting on his laurels. So it's exciting times for Norwich fans to have him and Aaron's and, and you just hope that they can stay together for a little while longer because there's no doubt that there'll be more established Premier League clubs who will be looking at these two and thinking, yeah, I fancy taking them. So, But there's no doubt about it, he is... Yeah. Um, He's a very special young talent. Yeah, bang on. And I think you could see that, especially when he came in and started this season. His level, I thought, I think he missed the first couple of games. As soon as he started playing this season, I just remember going, 
oh, he, he looks like he's taken a step from, from his sort of first six months in the side. So fair play. Well done, Jamal Lewis. What a season. Uh, one more stop off at the Carabao Cup, which is, of course, at Wickham. It was a 4-3 win in the end. It was a bit hairy <laughs> um, in parts. I was at Centre Parks, so I was following this on Twitter, having a holiday. Who knew it? Uh, a little bit more from Emmy in this game and a hat-trick for Jordan Rhodes, which was a key point, I think. And also that Tammy Pookie was the one who congratulated him, I think, at half-time. Didn't we don't remember that. Yeah, the old green kit and... Um... That was nice to see. Yeah, it was nice to see because uh, you know it, it underlined really the bond between those two, especially, but maybe the squad in more general terms that um, they would there was it you know it wasn't for show. There was a genuine delight on Pookie's part that this guy had stepped into his shoes and, and shown everybody that he can score goals at, at a certain level. You know, albeit it was Wickham in the League Cup. Um, but obviously, it was swiftly roles reversed, and it was Jordan. Congratulating Pookie as, yeah, as, we, yeah. as the season progressed, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, just a little window maybe into, mm-hmm. and we heard more about it as the season progressed, and we got into the defining phase, and you know, Hanley's on the touchlines, Close is on the touchline, you know, Alex Tete, um, yet yeah, that that bond and that that togetherness was was evident, and and you don't you don't achieve what Norwich did. It's all right to talk about this, but you don't achieve what Norwich did in the end without that kind of uh, close knit unity within the changing room. Very true. And eight goals in two games at Adams Park, Jordan Rhodes, he scored five, hadn't he, for Huddersfield, um, however many years ago it was. Also the first time we'd ever won three away games in the space of one week. Wow. And to be fair, Norwich's away record has been patchy for long periods, so maybe that's not too much of a surprise. <laughs> no, this is very true. All right, let's round up this part, shall we, with um, a return to Carroll Road against Wigan. I think most people only remember this game for what happened in the final five minutes, although Dunkley did take out Timmy Puggy when he was through on goal and blatantly should have conceded the penalty. Oh, I think it was in the box, I can't remember now. But uh, uh, Mario Vrantic actually scored the penalty, which was one of the few that actually counted as well, because when they did miss, they tended not to count, um, not to be too much of an, of an issue. Yeah, um, and one of few that he actually scored inside the box as well. So this is why I'm kind of broke all the rules. Um, yeah, it, it was not a great game, especially Wigan were actually above us at this point, um, which obviously didn't last. In fact, I think we overtook them after after this game. Uh, they didn't have a single shot on target, so it was one of those where we probably had huffed and puffed and eventually got what we deserved. Um, and it was the first time, again, new record. We'd never won five games in a row by a single goal margin, and that's what we'd done over the previous five, if you include the cut match. Um I want to know where Paddy was for this one. Might have been the wedding of the stag. <laughs> thinking about it, yeah. But uh, mismatch. <laughs> no, well, yeah, exactly. But that's a great point, Steve makes that five games on the spin they won by the odd goal. You know, as much as we associate now this swashbuckling, uh, we'll score more goals whenever we fancy it um, type of approach. This phase, particularly of the season, they were just doing enough, and and their game management was obviously very good. You know, and that. Again, if you're going to achieve what they achieved, it, it wasn't enough just to you score three, we'll score four approach. You needed to have a little bit of this in your locker as well. One kick to win a game or win a point. I think Mario French has proved quite good at that over the course of the season. I've got a stat for you, Steve, just to end this part. Um, it was um, before the 86th minute against Wigan, Norwich City had a positive goal difference for just nine minutes under Daniel Farker. And that was when they opened the scoring against West oh, Brom yes. in August. And that was, this was the first time they finished a game with a positive goal difference. And I think it went back down to zero um, after they 
defeated Sto- uh, lost yeah. to Stoke and then obviously from then on never relinquished it do you think that'll continue into next season of course it will absolutely you know th- let's just add to the tally I say uh, here is the table have a quick look at it because actually 10 games in Norwich was sat 5th and as you said Steve they'd just overtaken Wigan um, I guess our point at this point was maybe that the same point last season they were flying into the top 6 and then it all sort of unravelled a bit so maybe we were all being a little bit if you look at that season West Brom Leeds Middlesbrough Sheffield United you know it was, it was a bit of shape to it I suppose the point I was thinking at this time, actually, just to, to quickly go back to the Reading game, we actually had an identical start at that point to 2017-18. And I think it was around this time of the season in that year where we'd gone on that long and beaten run. So I think for me at this point, I was still feeling like, well, that's, that's fine, but let's see where we are in a month or two's time. Otherwise, this could be another false dawn. False dawn, eh? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, great, great shout. Because as much as it felt like they were making progress, the, the parallels would too obvious to ignore and what you didn't want was them to tail away again and thankfully they didn't that is part one done of our Norwich City review of the season and we've managed to end it on a high I think just about uh, to think some people would think it would be a downbeat segment you know what they're talking about uh, thank you so much Paddy as good a season as you've covered do you reckon oh, 100% mate yeah it's a phenomenal season really um, uh, as an event possibly the playoff final against Middlesbrough as an event but as a body of work over nine months I don't think I'll see it again in my time this is always isn't Sadly. it well thanks so much for joining us really appreciate it of course uh, here at Argent Towers thanks to Steve as well we'll be reunited for part two at a new Norwich City venue and with one of the people involved in turning Carroll Road from where it was at the start of the season into a spectacular site which of course we saw by the end of the campaign along come Norwich indeed over in here it's good uh, until then thank you all for watching and listening we'll see you soon 